Thank you for joining us here at First Baptist Church of San Antonio, whether online or on broadcast, in your homes or wherever you may be. We want you to know that you are more than welcome to be a part of the life of this church, and we want you to know that we want you to meet Jesus today. In order for this to happen regularly, we need your support, we need your prayers, and we need your financial gifts. Please continue to give and be a part of what we do today. Let us turn our attention now to Judges chapter 16. This week we have been reading together this, the story of Samson's final fall as he fails in his Nazarite vow in Judges 16, 15 through 21. So if you'll turn there with me on your listening sheet, we're going to read this aloud together. So let's stand and let's read. This then is the text for today. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have deceived me these three times and have not told me where your great strength is. It came about when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him that his soul was annoyed to death. So he told her all that was in his heart and said to her, A razor has never come on my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I will become weak like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all that was in his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more for he has told me all that is in his heart. The lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of hair. Then she began to afflict him and his strength left him. She said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. Then they brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze chains, and he was a grinder in the prison. May God bless the reading of his word. Unfortunately, there are too many times that we as believers and there are too many times that we as churches make quick and foolish vows. Most of us at one point or another have looked up into heaven and said something along the lines of, God, if you will do this, then I will do that where we speak of a vow that turns then our relationship with God into a transaction. It's a sad reality in these moments where we find ourselves 
at a point in time or of great distress where we feel like we would rather have a transaction rather than a conversation. We prefer some kind of perceived result rather than a relationship. That to us, in those dark moments, whatever result is missing, we would rather have than communion with our Lord. Most of us have done this in our weaker moments. That God, if you would just bring this into my life, all would be well. God, if, if you would do one more thing for me, then I would know joy. God, if you would do this, then peace would be so. We do it with silly things, too. Something like this. God, if I do my quiet time th this morning, then you have to give me a great round of golf. <laughs> God, if I read my Scripture, you must bring flowers into my presence. Where we speak saying, God, if, if I do something good, then you must do something good for me. It's another one of those ways that we make a vow with God so that our relationship with Him becomes a means to another end. That to us, this relationship between us and God is not enough, but instead... For us to maintain this relationship, God must do something else for us on this earth as if the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ were not enough. God, I will do something good if I can expect this out of you, if you will do something else for me. This is how our vows often go. We take it beyond the silly, too, though. Sometimes we find ourselves in these moments of what some call foxhole prayer. That God, if you will deliver me from death, or God, if you would be so active as to deliver me from my enemy, then I will never do this sinful thing ever again. It's like when someone is going into surgery to have a tumor removed. And in the fear of what might happen in that surgery, we look up to God and say, God, if you will bring me through, then no alcohol shall ever touch my lips again. You see, even in these life or death moments, we can turn this relationship that we have with God into a kind of transaction. Those transactions should give us pause. When we look up to God and say, God, if, if you will do one more good thing for me, then I will stop sinning. As if the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ were not enough. God, if you would do one more thing, then I'll be okay. One more act of love, then I'll be at peace. Now, to be clear, I think you should absolutely share with God everything that is on your heart. In moments of prayer, everything that is weighing your heart down, everything that your mind longs for, if you're dreaming about golf or scared to death of death, speak that before the Lord. 
Tell the Lord those very things that are on your heart and mind. But if we will listen to God between those cries, He will reveal a truth that's beyond us. That a good round of golf or even another day on this earth is bleak without Him. And that ultimately, it's a great joy when we can delight in this relationship between He and us. And it's a wonderful gift when we can treasure that time with Him rather than to treat our conversations as a means to some kind of future transaction. You know, it's probably no worth noting the words of Ecclesiastes 5 here. In Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 5, 4 through 7, it says there comes moments in our lives where we do this, where we make these kinds of vows with God. And although Ecclesiastes warns against them, Scripture says we often do it. And if you do it, you best follow through on your vows you make to God. But when you fail, you better quickly come to repentance. You see, these are the kinds of things that we think of typically when we think of a vow before God, a vow between us and God. God, I, I'm going to do this if you will then in turn do that. But in number six, the book of Numbers, chapter 6, we hear of another kind of ancient vow. On some level, number 6 is left relatively generic, where there's opportunity beyond that and with that in what this vow could look like. But in number 6, there are some specific steps of obedience where there was this call on the life of those who knew the Lord to make a vow between them and God. And in that vow, there were three specific steps of obedience. So when a person came and made this vow, they would first say, God, alcohol will never touch my lips so long as this endures. But it even goes beyond that. There's a bit of parentheses that says we won't take of anything that is a grape or of the grapevine. Not grapes, not raisins, not grape juice, none of that, and no alcohol. So that's sort of part one of this vow before God. I'm going to set myself apart. Or, in reality, God has set me apart as a Nazarite, and this is what it looks like in my life. There will be no alcohol. Uh, step two of obedience is I will not come into contact with a dead body. Right? The first of alcohol is, is about the, what the flesh desires and separating yourself out from what this world gives. The, the second, not touching a dead body, is about the purification and the holiness of God and how God is an antithesis to death. God is of life. It is this earth and the sin of humanity that brings about death, so you will not touch a dead body. And lastly, and really this is most prominent, this is what people can see, and this is what we often know of a Nazarite vow, that your hair will not be cut 
as long as this vow is in effect. These three things, so no alcohol, no touching a dead body, and not cutting your hair, were distinctive marks of someone who committed themselves to a specific call from God. Now, you see in number six, these seem to be for a specific kind of time frame. And if you failed in this time frame on any one of these things, you could go to a priest, go to the tent of meeting, and bring a sacrifice and ask God for the forgiveness of your sins. God would work that out. But we have in the Old Testament two other examples of this Nazarite vow that seems a little deeper than what we see in Numbers chapter 6. One of those is Hannah. When Hannah is praying for a child, she can't have children, and she prays up to God, and Hannah says, God, if you would give me a child, I will give this child over to you, and no razor shall ever touch his head. And Hannah bears Samuel, and she brings him into the house of the Lord to serve out his life. So Hannah spoke that over him, and from the time he was born was kept under a kind of Nazarite vow. The same thing is true of Samson. But in Samson's mother, it was a little bit different. She was told by an angel. And this angel came and said, Samson is going to be born to you. And Samson is going to be the Lord's under a Nazarite vow for a specific reason, that, that Samson is going to be a judge of Israel. And in that way, he's going to be a protector and a deliverer. He's going to set them free from the Philistines. He's going to be the one that fights back for the nation. He's going to stand up against the Philistines for you for 20 years. See, Samson had been called from birth and gifted by God with his supernatural physical strength. And that strength meant the Spirit of God was with him. His role was a lot like King David's, fight back against the Philistines as a protector and a deliverer. Now, I want us to think, too, this morning about who we are, about you and your life, about me and my life. And that we need to know that as a child of God, under the power and authority of the Holy Spirit, God has so gifted us to serve and live out kingdom life on this earth. God has given you talents and God has given you resources that are to be used for His glory. We're not called to defeat the Philistines in a show of strength, but each one of us have been called into the kingdom of God for His glory. Samson had this unparalleled strength when the Spirit of God was upon him, physically stronger than any other man, that, that that same Spirit that empowered Samson works among us today. That, that same Spirit is moving in the life of this church. The, the same Spirit that can handle thousands of Philistines at one time moves among this congregation and is working in your life this morning. You see, the, the Spirit of God is moving but not so you can increase your bench press numbers. The Spirit of God is moving to work the wonderful works of heaven among us and through us as believers in Jesus Christ. You know, often one of our first reactions to knowing that God has gifted us and knowing that God has given to us is to believe that these resources are transactional or 
this way, that God has given us those things so that we can do something for ourselves. We think God has given me the gifts and the opportunities and the resources that he's given me so that I can take care of me. This is normal, but it's incorrect. You see, it's normal for us to think that my gifts are to me for me. It's normal for us to think that my strengths and my talents are to me and for me, but that isn't correct. God didn't give you the the talents and resources that you have so that you can take care of you to get what you want. Those things are in your life to draw you in near to the Lord, to strengthen your relationship with Him, and to give glory to His name and to His kingdom forevermore. You see, as it stands, there is a deep well of joy to be found when our time and our talents and our resources are used for the glory of God instead of our own. Now, as we come to Judges 16 this week, we've already had a few chapters of Samson's work. And at this point, Samson has all but abandoned his vow to God. Um, We see how he's lived his life. We see how he's come into contact with many dead bodies. But just as painful is how chapter 16 begins. His eyes and his heart are drawn to Philistine women. In fact, we see two here in Judges 16, two different women who aren't his wife, that become his heart's desire. And what he willfully does in the middle of this chapter is he trades his relationship with God so that he can be in relationship with another. And not just one woman, but a second woman. Again, neither of them are his wife. He starts to believe in his heart that this relationship between he and God is a sort of transaction. And he starts to believe that what will bring him joy and delight are the relationships of this earth and what he lusts after in his heart. And from these episodes, we get one of the saddest verses in all of the Old Testament. Judges 16, chapter, uh, Judges chapter 16, verse 20. It's the last sentence there. But Samson did not know that the Lord had departed from him. After Samson willfully gave this up so that he could have a, a couple more relationships this way, he didn't even notice that God had left him. He didn't even notice that God had just handed him over to what he wanted. That God let him have the destruction that he was bringing into his own life. And what you see in this is God is uncompromising in his expectations. God is uncompromising in his holiness. And as Samson cut ties here, God let him go into that destruction that his heart longed for. as Samson shows something else over his relationship with God, God said, so be it. And Samson was captured, chained, and they gouged his eyes out 
so that he could not see. But in all this humiliation, something began to change in him. At his lowest, Samson was renewed and brought back. In Judges 16, 20, we have this deeply sad moment. But just two verses later, we see the mercy of God foreshadowed. Look with me at Judges 16, 22. It's, it's the next verse following what we read for our passage today. Judges 16, 22. However, and let me stop there because every one of us in here need a however. The, these moments where the mercy of God comes down from heaven and God doesn't give us what we deserve. And instead of giving us what we deserve, there is a however. However, the mercy of God reigns supreme. See, in Judges 16, 22, it says, However, the hair of his head began to grow again. And in that moment, this wasn't a moment of Samson. This wasn't a moment of physical growth. This was a movement of the Spirit of God that was doing something in his heart and in his life. You see, this verse foreshadows what God was about to do. Sin had driven Samson into terrible circumstances. But what we know here, as we see, as we turn through the pages of Scripture, is that the power of God can meet you anywhere, and the power of God can meet you through anything that, that the, the Spirit of God can move unlike anything else we have ever known. That the Spirit of God can move as swiftly through a Philistine prison as He can through heaven. And in God's mercy, He met Samson there, chained in a Philistine prison. Look with me quickly at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. This is a verse I think about often because it, it gets to this reality. 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some of you count slowness. But God is patient with you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. What we see beautifully laid out in this painful moment for Samson is what many of us have lived in our own lives. God is not looking to send you into a Philistine prison. God, God is not looking to punish you with bronze chains. You see, God's call on Samson's life wasn't a call for him to be terrorized by captors. The Spirit of God moved. And as Samson found himself in those places because of his own sin, this, the Spirit of God still made a way to, to work in, in places that seemed too remote. And the, the Spirit of God seemed to work in, in ways 
that look impossible to us. But Samson's hair began to grow again. And as Samson's hair began to grow again, and as the Spirit of God was near, tells us at the end of this chapter that Samson begins to pray. And he prays, O Lord God, please remember me. That's how the prayer begins. And it sounds an awful lot like the thief on the cross. O Lord God, remember me. And I hope we hear this this morning. Though Samson had traded his relationship with God for a couple of physical trysts, God did not give up on Samson. And God had not given up on Samson's call. The Spirit of God was still moving and was still going to use Samson to protect Israel from the Philistines. You see, in his humiliation, as the hair started to grow and Samson started to pray, the Spirit of God began to work to protect Israel and do that which needed to be done. And I hope you hear this morning, in this example that we have with Samson, you are not too far gone. If you have turned your back on God, or if you have turned your back on God's call, the Spirit of God can meet you wherever you are this morning. And as you pray, the Spirit of God moves. And the Spirit of God is moving among us in unparalleled mercy for His children. In this day, may we heed the example of Samson in the words of Christ as he began his ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we love you. And for each one of us who have cut ties with you, we pray for restoration. Lord, like Samson, let our hair grow again. Lord, for every one of us who have run away from you, we pray that your spirit would be real and present to us this morning. Lord, every one of us in here have known your mercy. But every one of us in here need to be reminded of that mercy. Lord, would you speak into our hearts and minds and remind us of your affection. Remind us of your sacrifice. And Lord, we pray that you would draw us in near to you. It's in the name of our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.